started pastoring at 22. But I am wise. I have something to show for it. Amen. But thank you so much from my family to yours. It's been an honor. It's been a joy. We would have been faithful if no one would have showed up. But after all these years seeing people show up like you do, even during this time, it's such an honor. It makes the journey so much more enjoyable. And meeting so many people that have come out during this season of uh, what we've been going through as a nation. So thank you for keeping us in your prayers. Please continue to do so. Uh, Sometimes people ask me, will you ever write a book about pastoring? I did write a book about discipleship-based churches, and that's kind of out of my studies to help pastors, uh, you know, have a discipleship program. But when it comes to like like writing a book about pastoring, I'm going to wait till uh, I've made it out of pastoring with a sound mind and you've made it out alive. Then I'm going to tell the stories and the same thing with my kids. When are you going to write a book on pastoring? When they make it out alive and I still have my sound mind, then I'll change all your names and I'll tell all the stories and all of that. But seriously, ministry is a joy to me. I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I don't ever plan on really retiring, maybe just uh, doing different things as I get older, but it's a joy. Many of you, uh, like Salvador, started with us in the home Bible study. Can we give it up for Salvador in the back there and his family, Jessica, right over here. Jessica, wave your hand. From the home Bible study to this day, still here. There's, I mean, there's only so many that started in the house, just a few handfuls. Uh, my in-laws, they're still here. Let's give it up for the Matsaras family. You guys, Awesome. And, and, and if today was your first time here, we're glad that you're here. So whether you came at the first time or uh, you're just new here, we appreciate you. We want to be a part of your life. Let's keep growing together. Amen. Today's message is the harvest is plentiful. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew. You can follow along on the notes or at your own uh, Bible on phone or in your hands. Look there at Matthew 9, verse 35. I want to encourage us today as a church to see our role in the harvest. For, for those of you who have been around for some time, you know I love going through the books of the Bible verse by verse. I think probably sometime maybe after the new year I'll get into that. The Lord has already put in my heart First Thessalonians. If you track with us online, you see that in Bible college. I'm going through the book of Philippians. And anytime you want to go through our old sermons, there's over a thousand online. Uh, The entire book of Matthew, the entire book of Ephesians, those kinds of things are there for you. But right now, uh, I just sense the Lord giving me these, uh, you know, these nuggets, these individual messages throughout the week that are really uh, speaking to my heart, and I hope they encourage you. Last week was on blessed, and today is being a worker in the harvest. So look at Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the time and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. See, Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. Krishna didn't do that. Come on, church. Can I get an amen? That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus right there. All the other religious leaders, they just came with their philosophy, their good ideas, or like let's you know call some of them bad ideas, right? But our Jesus ain't nobody like him. He came preaching and teaching and healing every disease and sickness. That's even before the grand finale when he raises from the dead. You don't know of any other religious figure that's based in history. We're not talking about based in Lord of the Rings being Gandalf. We're not talking about being based in Marvel Comics, based in history. You don't know of another religious leader that could heal everybody sick that could speak to them and know their past and their future all at the same time and still love them. Amen? 
That's my Jesus. Verse 36. That shouldn't get old to us. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus didn't just go to them to use and abuse, to take things from them. I always talk to people who say that little catch line. They say things like, man, all religions are the same. And maybe somebody will tell you that in college or a comparative religion course. They'll say, here's some sayings of Buddha. Let's compare it to Jesus. Here's some sayings of of these other religions. I'm like, you really haven't studied those figures very much, have you? Because on the surface, obviously most religious figures are going to say, help people be nice. They're not going to say, kill everyone everybody do all these crazy things. Most people are going to say the same things, aren't they? Now, uh, what you find in similarity is what we would just call the human experience. Do unto others as you want done unto you. But I want to tell you, Buddha was nothing like Jesus. Jesus, nothing like him. As a matter of fact, Buddha said that for him to experience enlightenment, he had to abandon his wife and kids and go out on his own. Does that sound like Jesus? We know Jesus was single, but Jesus taught us that the love of the Father was unconditional, that family was to be honored and respected, and yet in the Buddhist religion, breaking away from your uh, relationships was a part of them finding nirvana, so different than my Jesus. Also, Krishna, and I tell this story not to be gross, but just so people can understand there's a lot of New Age stuff, and it goes back to Hinduism. There's a story of Krishna watching the women bathe, and he wants to teach them a lesson about purity and coming to him in innocence. So what he did while he was watching them bathe, which is gross to begin with, he then takes all of their clothes and then hides up in a tree. Does that sound like your Jesus? That sounds like the devil. That sounds like a perv. So people who say they're all the same, I'm like, which book are you reading? Because don't get me started about Muhammad. We have a book on that in the back. That's a whole nother mess. I'll just stop at at Krishna for now. But let me just say, they have pictures of that. I mean, be careful if you want to view those kinds of things right now. But if if you look it up, Krishna taking the clothes of the maidens as they bathe. It's a picture. You could see it in their holy places. That is not our Jesus. Jesus didn't strip down Mary Magdalene or watch her bathe to teach her a lesson on coming to her impurity. It's almost comical, is it not? It's almost comical. And then maybe I got to talk about Islam a little bit. Jesus literally said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And Muhammad goes, I'm going to live by the sword and say, Jesus is one of the prophets that told me to do that. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't go exactly opposite of Jesus and then put Jesus on your team. I'm not saying every Muslim believes like the way Muhammad did, but I'm saying that Muslims have to trace their their belief system back to a man, a historical man named Muhammad, and he was not a good man. He married a nine-year-old. He conquered through force, and he told told his people that when they conquered, they would have virgins. That is not make-believe. I can show you that through the Quran and the Hadith that he bribed them with an afterlife that looked like an MTV party, okay? That is not the Jesus of of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible had compassion on people. He didn't tell them to forsake their family and go under some tree and f- try to find nirvana. He didn't say, man, I'm just going to uh, have you f- figure out a lesson in, in your nudity. And he didn't tell people to come fight and die for him so that he could have a harem of wives. Jesus would look at the people as a shepherd looks at sheep. 
And he eventually lays down his life for them, not for the good ones, not for the ones on his team. Every uh, hero movie you watch, the person's always laying down the lives, uh, laying down his life or her life for their team, right? It's not like you see Iron Man laying down his life, and I don't want to spoil the movies, but you know, uh, Iron Man dies in one of them, okay? Come on now. Come on. Give me a break. Give me a break. Okay, I'm sorry. So Iron Man dies for his team. He doesn't, he doesn't die for the bad guy. What's the bad guy in that one? The, Thanos. Thank you. He doesn't die for Thanos. Just imagine if he lays down his life for Thanos. Everybody would say, man, that's crazy. He's a traitor. He's, what, he's doing something wrong. Jesus lays down his life for sinners. The Bible says, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. Christ is dying for his enemies. Do you see how different of a story that is? It's not the same plot. It's not the same undergirding. It's not the same foundation. All the other religions are teaching people to do better, do better, do better. Let me help you do better. Let me show you how to lose spiritual weight. You know, it's like they're going to be your spiritual guru, like a spiritual trainer. Do this, do that, do this, do that, and then maybe God will love you. Maybe you'll get a blessing. Maybe you'll have the secret, you know, things like that. Jesus is different. Jesus is looking at them with compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless. They had already had religion. They had already seen the Greek gods. They had already been to the pagan temples or at least had seen them all around them at this time. They knew the stories of of all the other people groups and religions that were offering to them. Buddha had already lived at this time. Uh, The Hindu faith was already around. Now, we know Jesus has been there from the beginning, but you know what I'm talking about when we, when we meet these people, he's, he's saying he has compassion for. It's because no, nothing's making it better. Nothing's helping these people. And Jesus looks at them, and he feels compassion. Now, what does he do next? He looks at the disciples, verse 37, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. Thank you. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out what? As they send out pew sitters, choir members, conference attendees, armor bearers. What does it say? To send out workers into his harvest field. Get the big picture here. Jesus is doing his ministry, the things that make Jesus so special. And then he says to his disciples, his followers, his students, he says, guys, I want to tell you a fact of, of the matter here. The harvest is great. It is great. It is big. But the workers who want to do what I'm doing, who want to follow me, are few. So here's my prayer request. Here's Jesus making a prayer request. He says, ask the Father for more laborers. How many know if Jesus asked for a prayer request, we should take it serious? Amen. Have you ever been in a Bible study where, you know, people go around and give their prayer request? Have you ever done that? It's a special thing. Have you ever heard the one that said, uh, mine is private, you know, I, I, I don't want to mention it, unspoken. Have you ever felt sorry for that person, wondering what is going on in their life? Unspoken prayer request. 
man, what did you do? What have you got yourself into? You try not to be judgy about it, but all of a sudden you're wondering, are you going to jail? You got court? What's going on? Have you ever heard an unspoken prayer request? You've had to be around church for a while to hear that. But I don't judge. I'll pray for it. Okay, Lord, you know, you know. But normally I get a little bit nosy, just a little bit, just to be honest. I'd be like, can you give me a general idea what we're praying about? Is it your family? Is it your child? I want to know what's really going on here. Why is this thing unspoken? Can you write it down and tell me later? It just makes me more inquisitive. But imagine, let's just be honest, you're sitting in a room. And Jesus goes, I got a prayer request. How many at that point would be like, man, this is serious. Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to say, this is a prayer I want you to offer up. This is a prayer I want you to offer up. And it should not be strange to us because we know the end of the story. Jesus prayed with his disciples until they fell asleep. And he was actually disappointed when they didn't pray with him. So Jesus, as God in the flesh, as the God-man, related to us in his human weakness, not sinful weakness, but in human weakness, wanting people to pray with him, to lift up the things to the Father. Because remember, the Son is not the Father, even though they equally share divinity. They are separate in their personalities. And so he wanted the disciples to pray with him for more workers. But how many know Jesus has a little bit of a sense of humor here? Because imagine if I came up to you and I'm like, brother, would you do me a favor? Would you please pray with me for somebody to loan me $5? How many know I would be expecting you as you prayed to hear Jesus probably tell you to give me the five dollars it's a little bit of a trick in there isn't it all right i'll pray for you man uh lord would you help my brother get five dollars hey i want you to give him the five dollars are you sure lord yes i'm going to answer a prayer through you right now you're going to see it happen in 30 seconds oh man i was praying for you and uh guess what i do actually have five dollars in my pocket you know I believe Jesus is saying the same thing because the moment Peter lifts up the prayer request, oh, heavenly Father, how great thou art in heaven. I pray that Jesus would have more workers. How many know what the Father is going to say right back to him? Peter, uh, you're first in line. You're going to be an answer to this prayer right now. When we look at when Jesus first met the disciples, how does that relationship go? Does Jesus walk up to the disciples and go, hey, guys, I'm starting a new program. I'm going to be like a health coach slash spiritual coach for you guys. I want you guys to do a membership. If it's okay for you, I got an app. It's going to be $10.99 a month, only $2.50 first to register. But you know what? I want you to follow me. And then here's the deal. Over time, I'm going to show you some of my tricks and secrets, and then I'll have conferences. Is that what Jesus does? He says, hey. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. It starts right now. It doesn't matter if you don't have money in your pocket, no college education. It didn't matter what was going on 30 seconds before. If you want to be down with me, come on, let's go. It's a twofold calling. We're called to follow Jesus first and foremost. Never forget it. It's not about the people or the work. That's our primary focus, but it's a part of our calling is to first know him, but then what? To love our neighbor as ourselves and go be workers for Jesus. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I mean, just imagine if somebody said that about things you care about. I know we care about Jesus, but I just want to relate this to some people who say, you know, they don't understand the excitement in that. Imagine if Michael Jordan said, hey, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to ball. Imagine if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I'm going to teach you business. Imagine if somebody said, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to show you how to put on your makeup and your eyeliner and your, 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 your shadow, your foundation, and your contour. 
Come follow me. You would be excited. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, I so want to do that. Come on, my young daughter coming into her teenage years. Come follow me. Come, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm gonna, and, we, and we, in the natural, our coworkers, our friends would be right on it. We would get it. But then right here, when it comes to Jesus, we go, oh, I'm not ready, Jesus. I'm not ready, Jesus. Jesus is God. He gets to decide when you're ready. If you say back to Jesus asking you to do something that you're not ready, that's actually not humble. That's not like being nice to Jesus. That's actually rebellious. If I say to my kids, come follow me, I'm going to teach you how to clean your room. And then they say to me, "Uh, Dad, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, you sure is ready. You ready right now. You're behind ready for something else too. You better come with this. You better come with this right now. I'm showing you this. You ready for this. I'm not ready yet. I'm going to pray about it. There is nothing to pray about. There's nothing to pray. What are we praying about? I'm teaching you how to clean your room. I'm teaching you how to do something. Now, praise God, he gives us a choice. He does. God gives human beings a choice. And you can see where we've ended up with trying to figure out good and evil on our own. Where have we gone with this good and evil thing? We don't know our left hand from our right. We're calling evil good. Now, we're so confused, right? And that was our choice to do it his way, eat of the tree of life in the, in the Garden of Eden, or to have the knowledge and the control over what is good and evil. And we have been doing a terrible job at that. So when Jesus comes to the disciples and starts the kingdom for them and introduces them to the teachings that he's giving them, he wants them to immediately see how it's going to go to them, to go through them. He immediately wants them to see, this is not just about your four and no more. This is about us touching these people's lives. And how many are glad that somebody touched your life with the gospel, with prayer, with the things of God when you needed it? Someone was that for you. Now you are to be that someone for somebody else. So when Jesus says, hey, hey guys, I want you to pray and ask the Father this, he's automatically assuming the moment you start praying, my Father's going to start talking. Now somebody say some people. Come on, somebody say sometimes. Somebody say some people. So this may not be for everybody. I just want to say it right now. Please don't try to write me at info at mpichurch.org to tell me all your complaints right now, okay? They don't go directly to my mailbox anyway. So make sure all complaints go to info at mpichurch.org or Lauren Sciensky, L. Sciensky at mpichurch.org. You can mail all your questions and complaints there. No, but listen, some people sometimes think that others are supposed to do all the work for them. I know you're not those kind of people. That was the first service, right? No, I'm teasing here. But we, we have been them people as well. But the problem is when we come to church, we get too spiritual in our understanding that we miss the practical. Sometimes the old timers used to say, don't be so spiritual that you're of no earthly good. I actually believe when you're the most spiritual, you're the most earthly good. Jesus was the most spiritual, and he changed the earth for good. But you know what I mean when I say spiritual. I mean like spiritual. Man, I'm spiritual, pastor. Uh, you know, this is not really my calling, and, you know, I'm going to pray about it. Those kinds of people is what I'm talking about. So some people sometimes come to a church like this and say, maybe take King's Kids Ministry on Wednesday, free programs for your, your infant all the way up to, to fifth grade. And that means if they're an infant, you can drop them off and have two hours of free time, okay? So, I mean, we supply this for you. But there are some people sometimes that think that's just, owed to them. 
They're just going to drop off a child. They're not going to think about being a tither, a giver. They're not going to think about giving their time to volunteer. In their mind, that's what y'all do. Here's my kids. Take them. I'm going to Target. I'm going to Starbucks. That's what y'all do. This is what I do. Sometimes people think that way. They don't think about how to be a worker. As a parent who already knows what it's like to have kids, shouldn't parents just think to themselves, this is probably a lot going on here. They probably need help. How can I volunteer? What can I do? Is there something I can give to? You know, we're not always in the place to help everybody, but we can help somebody. Are you listening? You may not be able to join every ministry, but you can join a ministry. But there are some people sometimes that think that they're not called to be a worker. And Jesus is telling us right here that that person obviously is not praying the right prayer. We should always look at needs as a place where we can fill it, and if we can't, we're going to get back to it with somebody that can. We're not going to sit back and let everybody do it. Also, when it comes to home Bible studies, you, you would be shocked that I will, I will have people in the church for years. Somebody say some people. Sometimes. This is not everybody. This is some people sometimes will be in the church for years going to the home Bible study thinking that the angel Gabriel brought the coffee and the coffee cake and the, all these chips got there all by themselves. And then at, oh, at some point, God forbid, the life group leader will ask them to bring something. <gasps> oh, no. How dare they? How dare they ask me to be on a rotation to bring, what, a $2 bag of coffee or to bring some donuts? Oh, my goodness, the church is so greedy. What's wrong with these people? We've actually had people be in the church for years, and then, and then they have a nice home. We're not even talking about, like, like, we ask you if you have a mansion or whatever, but they were a part of a group that needed to split off, and, and people had obviously been to their house. It was well-kept. It had a living room. It looked normal, like the kind of house you'd want to be in. And guess what we did? We asked them if we could split off the Bible study and go to their house. <gasps> no, they didn't. The church wanted to take over my house. That's why I left Metro Praise, because they asked me to have a Bible study in my house. What is wrong with those people? I'm not having anybody in my house. I can't trust anybody. Those people are crazy. But I've been going to a home Bible study for the last three years. No hypocrisy here. Just keep moving, please. That's what it's like in the church. Honestly, I couldn't even believe I was having the conversation with the couple. I literally asked them, I said, is there something wrong with your house that we don't know? Um, are you going through financial trouble that we don't know? I mean, you appear nice. You, feel, you appear welcome. I said, was it not communicated to you that when we split off the Bible study, there'll be at least three other, four other families coming there, and they're ready to give and participate just like they've been at that house. So you're not going to do it alone. I, I, I can be God. God is my witness. Help me, Jesus. Tell the story. Free from bitterness. Two o'clock in the morning on a vacation, I am figuring this out with people, and they never came back to the church. Still to this day, I cannot figure it out. Some people have tried to be the Holy Ghost detectives and think there was hidden sin and all of these different things. I don't know. I just know people are weird when it comes to them doing stuff. There may not have been another person on the side. There may not have been a drug cartel coming in out of their house. It just literally could have been a mindset in somebody's life. They do that. I do this. I come. See, watch what I do. I come. I don't have it in my house. I come. That's what I do. And that's the frustration that I have when I, when I love people as much as I do. Trust me, I love people. It's like, oh, what did you not understand about Jesus asking us to do this? 
I know not everybody can do everything. Maybe there's legitimate things that come up. Maybe you're like, well, you know, my husband works these hours. I work those hours. I don't know if we can be there every week. And sometimes they have to sleep. And, you know, we babysit other children. I get it. There will come times where, where even I have to pull up the red flag and go, I can't do church anymore with you guys, okay? Like, you, just, you, can just, you can just see a church like this. It starts to become one thing, then the next thing, the next thing. And then before you know it, you're trying to do everybody's thing, and you're burning out. And you don't want to burn out. You want to burn up. Amen? I figured that out when we first started the church, and uh, everybody wanted to do their own thing, and you're just trying to get to know people, only a handful. And, uh, you know, they just asked me one time, this group said, hey, Pastor, our church that we used to go to did a watch night on New Year's Eve and prayed and brought it in and all that. And I'm like, that's cool you all did it over there. Why don't you go back and check them out, you know, see how they're still doing that? Because that's, that's not what I do. I normally go to bed around 10, and I just, I just do my thing. That's what I do. But they were like, no, Pastor, you want to do this and tell everybody because this is what this is the cool thing for churches to do so I went and did it and only that family came I'm being 100% honest I am like in the church like you know here got the table set up got the games and it is just me and their family we're playing the games okay what game y'all want to play next okay I won't play Monopoly with you guys I literally felt like I was babysitting for adults I'm like why couldn't you guys just do that in your house why did I why did this guy here this guy right here somebody say pastor why did the pastor have to be here to make this legitimate why couldn't y'all just done this on your own so I got free a long time ago. I started making copies of the keys. I'm like, y'all do that. Berto had it in his heart to pray at 530. I'm like, man, I might, I, I might fall asleep on you guys. So here, man, you take the keys, start praying at 530. And I think that's part of the body of Christ, isn't it? It's, it's not saying anything's wrong with the 5.30 prayer meeting. It's just, does everybody have to be at the 5.30 prayer meeting? Does everybody have to be at the New Year's Eve thing? And so I hope that as you've been a part of this church, especially the new folks coming in, that you understand that we get it about times and seasons and reasons. As we first started off, even my wife and I, we were both single, and then we were dating, and we got married. All of that happened while the church was starting. Well, how many know single people got a different kind of time than married folks with kids. Single young adults be making it rain time. They'll be burning up time. They'd be throwing away time, losing time, not know where the time went. Oh, I don't know. Is it is 11 in the morning? They just be just doing all kinds of crazy stuff with time. I've had to do calendars to the minute. Can I get an amen from somebody that understands? You know, well, when you first start a church with young adults, everything is just, what do you want to do? Let's preach three hours here. Let's have a 5.30 prayer meeting. Let's do this. So we began to find out as we got married and had kids that different people needed different, you know, paths. So we started making things as basic as we could so that no one would come back and say, well, I can't be a worker because you're asking too much. If you look at our vision in the simple way that we present it, it's come to church, go to a life group, some meet every other week, that would be two times a month, and begin discipleship. That's what we teach. And in those places that you're at, even the life groups do evangelism and do other things. They kind of stick it all together. I know, I know people who will go to church on Sunday and then will go to their life group on Sunday, do a little evangelism before, and then afterward do their discipleship because that may be their only day. Then there's others who just spread it out, you know. And you're welcome to join any of the other ministries that you want. But I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, most of our excuses not to be a worker don't come from the stresses and the trials of life, it comes from our unwillingness. 
That's why when we look at the things of the Bible, we, we'd have to decide, is that important to us? Because, it, like I said, if Michael Jordan said, man, I'm going to teach you how to ball, or, or if Bill Gates said, man, I'm going to teach you how to make money, or, you know, uh, you know something like Oprah said, I'm going to teach you how to produce a TV show, anything that we were interested in, we would make time for. And so the way I say it is, God made time for you, make time for him. Amen? But there are about five excuses that I see we deal with in the church. So let's go to number five, and we'll work our way down. When we begin to talk about doing what Jesus did, going out into the public, making disciples, a lot of times people will say things like, being a public witness isn't effective like it was in Jesus' time. There are better ways to do it now. So the idea is, you know, Jesus, you know, like, oh, poor, third world, ignorant Jesus. He had to talk to people, but we got TikTok. We're so much smarter than Jesus. We're so much more intelligent. Well, let me ask you a question, smarty technological pants. If that was so great, why didn't Jesus come in this generation? Why did Jesus come in a generation where relational, talking, hanging out with people face to face was actually important? Probably to teach us that that's foundational to us as human beings. So first and foremost, Jesus did not come to get a bunch of followers on Twitter. Jesus came to make disciples and change the world through relationships. And how many know this? How many know you can chew gum and walk at the same time? I always tell my pastor friends who say that, I'm like, dude, you can witness and you can put up memes on Facebook. Isn't that awesome? You can do that. You can put a welcome home sign at your church that people hold up as they come into the lobby, and you can go hand out boxes in the community of food. There's actually ways to do both in life. And so I hope that as you come here, follow us on social media, you'll see we're a little tech savvy. We're online. We greet people as they come. We do things around our building. But how many know it's not about building an aquarium but being fishers of men I mean come on let's say you met a fisherman and he's talking to you about man all the fish that he catches and do all of this and you're like man I want to go fishing with you and then you go to his house and, and then he's like you're ready and like yeah are we going to the lake are we taking a trip somewhere he's like no I'm going to take you in my living room it takes you to an aquarium come on puts in a, a little hook I mean, what would you do? He calls himself a fisherman, just puts the hook in right there. He gets one on the line. You're watching him going, dude, are you out of your mind? Well, that's what it's like with sister so-and-so at the fourth conference they've got her to join, the tenth book they've gotten her. We are glad we have people in the aquarium. Look around at the aquarium right here. There's a lot of variety, right? But how many know we got to go be fishers of men? My job is not to, you know, to, to juice you for all your worth and just keep using this as what I consider my ministry. Even as the pastor, I can't get away with that nonsense. I'm supposed to take care of what God is doing here, but I need to go out there. I need to get one of those wild sharks. Are you tracking with me? I need to catch a stingray. I need to get something that you all would be afraid of. And that's what I actually like to do is go fishing on the coast for the, the big scary fish. I need to bring one of those in and let the Holy Spirit clean them up. Amen. And so let me just ask you something. Did keeping God's commands ever come in and out of style? I mean, do you, do you stop doing something because of technology? The Bible says in John 14, 23, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. That does not have an expiration date on it. And then he told his disciples, go into all the world. Go to where the people are at. I understand that this may be difficult for some of us at the beginning, and I'll deal with that in just a moment, but let's just resolve it. We're supposed to be workers for God. We're supposed to take care of his church, and we're supposed to reach the community. How many believe we can do it all? Okay, amen. The fourth excuse that we hear a lot of is that, you know what? 
I don't need to be a public witness. I don't necessarily have to do it on the outside, out there where it's scary at a park or, you know, in a community or going to a high school. I don't need to do it out there because I do it on my job. I talk to my friends and family. And once again, is it an either or or a both and? It's a both and. I can talk to my neighbor and I can talk to someone on the streets. I can do both. I don't make the excuse, well, I talked to my neighbor today. I've told somebody about Jesus. What about all the neighbors that nobody is talking to? I mean, there's a lot of harvest. Did Jesus say the harvest is so small and you guys are going to be fighting over who gets a sheep or a fish today? Is that what he said? He said, no, it's so great. And guess what? So many times when I go out, we don't fight for corners with other churches. It's not like I get out there and I'm like, oh, man, I see another church. Were you guys out here first? Okay, man, you want to fight over? What are we going to do for this corner right here? Most of the time, seriously, most of the time you get out there on the corner and it's like, little sagebrush blowing down the road. And then you talk to about a dozen people, and you're like, does anybody even love Jesus in this place? I feel like I'm all alone. Lord, help me, Jesus. I mean, I'm being honest. You show up somewhere, and is it just one Christian, you know, saying hi to you or thank you for being here makes a difference. I think about the time that I met Kathy Adams, a, a person who went to Living Word Church. We met on the west side, and it was because God told us to adopt a block. And the first person that met us, like the Bible says, a person of peace came out of their home and said, hey, what are you doing here? Are you telling people about Jesus? I said, yeah. She said, that's what my kids just told me, and I wanted to come check it out. I said, yeah, we're going to start coming out here every week. And Kathy said, well, I go to Living Word, and there's some people that would want to join us. And I said, okay, let's do this. Because of our partnership out there, Kathy ended up getting a a an award from the mayor presented to or by the mayor. We ended up having block parties, job fairs, and a whole bunch of wonderful things. Why? Because people wanted to do something for Jesus in their community. Let's give it up for people like Kathy Adams. Amen? And then Kathy Adams abandoned us and moved to Dallas. Pray for Kathy to come back. I know, I know. Chicago's a tough place to live, but she is doing well and blessed. So are her children. And I think about that, and I'm like, how many other of your neighbors are just waiting for you to take that step? For you to be the one who says, hey, I'm going to start ministering on my block. I'm going to start inviting people to something that we're doing. Here's the thing about Halloween. People are actually coming to your doors. How many know they come to your doors? Why don't you dress up like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why don't you dress up like Jesus and be like, hold on, kids. I want you to meet somebody. Uh, I'm Jesus. I'm going to tell you about three scriptures right now as I give you some bread and some fish. Here you go. Here's the candy. I'm going to be Moses. Hey, man, I got some commands for you kids. Hold up. Hold on. I got a command for you. Obey your mother and your father. I mean, all we have to do literally for Halloween is just stand in front of our door and say something about Jesus. And if you are too spiritual for that, then just go to someone else's house that's doing that. We have to start somewhere, and we have to be public witnesses. We have to do what Jesus did. Jesus did not just stay in the synagogue. That's where he always started, but he, you can't fight, feed 5,000 in a synagogue, right? He went out from the synagogue to the highways and byways, to the places where people were living their everyday life, and that's why he told them. He said, guys, I can't just stay here. I need to keep going to different villages in Mark 1, 38, and so we can never neglect this. Even as a pastor, I can get away with preaching here, right? Like, well, I preached to you? Did you bring a lost person here today? Well, then I technically preached, but did I preach like Jesus? 
No, Jesus also preached in the public. Jesus didn't just do one thing, he did both. Let's go to the next one, please. When we look at the excuses, there's, this one comes up, and I don't want to start any trouble, trust me when I say this, but it will come up every now and then. Somebody will say, oh, pastor, well, I know a good church or a good pastor, and they don't do this. And that's very true. You may know good pastors, good people who are wrong. How many know good people who are wrong? I'm a good person, and I'm wrong at times. That doesn't make it right. I know good pastors that do a lot of things wrong. I have, Like I said, I have done things wrong. So is your final authority what this church or this pastor said or what Jesus said? Look at Luke chapter 10, 1 and onward. Jesus said, he appointed 70, sends them out to preach, and he goes, the harvest is what? Plentiful. Somebody say plentiful. But the workers are few. Sounds like a good preacher repeating himself all the time, right? So he says what we've already heard. And he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among what? Wolves, I love this. Jesus is like, y'all get out there now. You're all going to do this and, and keep praying for workers. And by the way, you're going to get eaten up out there. But how many know he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us? So as he's pushing us out, he's not standing back. He's actually going with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But just imagine, come on, let's just put ourselves in Jesus' church. We've been attending for a while. We like him. We, our family gets along. We get some free stuff every now and then. He heals us when we're sick. We don't need to worry about health care. And then he sends us out to do this. How many know somebody in the audience is going to be like, uh, Jesus, can I just talk to you real quick about this? Uh, I got a doctor's note, I mean a pastor's note that says, I don't have to do this. This is not what I do. I know this is what they do, but this is not what I do. You're sending out the 72, and that's awesome for Peter and James, and those guys are awesome. But I'm just going to stay back. I'm just going to stay back, and I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And, and it's nothing wrong with praying, but how many know that's an excuse now? Do you think Jesus would say back to him, oh, Really? That's what the other rabbi said? Oh, I'm so sorry. I asked you to do it. Yeah, somebody else take this person's place. Of course not. We would think that's ridiculous to say what another rabbi said about what Jesus said. And I believe Jesus is still speaking. Jesus is still sending out people two by two. Jesus is still wanting us to pray for the sick. Jesus is still wanting us to share the gospel. Jesus is still wanting us to have compassion on people. Jesus actually wants you and I to be workers in his kingdom, not out of obligation, but out of appreciation. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Next one as we're getting free today. This is real. Somebody say it's real. This is real. I understand it because I've pastored for a while. People will say, man, I, I just don't have that personality, pastor. I'm just not really good at meeting people. I'm more shy. I'm more inward. And that is very true. I don't take that at, at first when I hear it. I don't take that as a lie or them trying to get out of it. I do believe that, uh, that the statistics point to stage fright, public speaking, doing what I'm doing here could be worse than even skydiving for some people. Like I totally get that. But does that mean we stop with our weakness and say, I'm out of this? What are we taught in the things of God from the Bible when we're in weakness? The Bible says when you are weak, then he is what? Strong, because God is strong in you. I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I mean, when we're looking at our power meter, how much power do you have to heal a cold? 
I'm at empty. I'm at zero. I don't have any power to make that happen. I have to rely upon God to pray for somebody that's sick. How many of you have power to cast out a demon without Christ's help? Just read about the Bible, seven sons of Sceva. They tried that and got beat. You don't want to get whooped by a demon-possessed person, do you? No, so you need to be. You need to know Jesus. You need to come with Jesus' power. I don't want to be beaten, stripped naked by demon-possessed people being on Facebook. Like, look at this preacher. He got stripped down and beaten by homeless one-eyed Willie who was demon-possessed. I want to be able to get out there and give deliverance in Jesus' name. Well, if we're counting on the power to to do all of those other things, how about to share our faith and to speak? You may look at someone with my personality and go, well, he's good at that. Yeah, but I don't have the power to change your life with my words. As a matter of fact, if you're shy and you're more used to being dependent on the power of God, your few words may be better than all of my intricate arguments because if I'm not listening to the Spirit, I'm just giving off a lot of hot Cheeto breath. They're just like, okay, whatever. And I've seriously have been with people like this where like, uh, uh, Sister Rosa, would you raise your hand? Let's give it up for Armando Rosa, woman of God, powerful witness for Christ. I can get into all of these arguments, and, and Sister Rosa will just share simple things from her heart. She is very powerful in her knowledge, but she's probably at times more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than even I am. And you'll see breakthrough. You'll see people come to tears. You'll see people saved because she knows that this is a gift that she's relying upon God to give her. So for those of us who say, man, I got this. I'm just going to run out and say whatever. Man, <laughs> I don't know. Is he here today? Let me see. I'll tease him if he was. Maybe he was in the first service, but uh, yeah, he was. He is such a good talker, and he went out and started preaching, and it was almost a comedy act. He started telling jokes and all of these things, and we actually had to say back to him, talk about Jesus, dude. Seriously, because he just kept telling some jokes, and he was doing his thing because he was comfortable speaking, but when it came to Jesus, he didn't know how to rely on what the Lord was saying as people were passing by, and we all laughed about it. He wouldn't take it wrong if he was here, but it's something that even those of us who are good at speaking have to remember. It's not based on our wit, our, our being a used salesman. It's based on what God can do. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. The words come from the Holy Spirit. Even just handing out boxes or knocking on doors or like at the Halloween outreach or something. You know, we have one this Wednesday. All of these things, if we come prayed up and ready, God will use us. Amen. And then the last one here, this is the one where I say they get so spiritual. Everybody goes spiritual. Oh, they're so spiritual, Pastor. This is not my calling. Okay, and I normally ask those people, like, what are you called to do? And then they kind of just go like, well, I'm discovering it. They're like on a treasure chest journey with the Lord. Shakuto. I'm going deep into the things of God. Man, stop that and get up and do something for Jesus. I have one young man. He was with me in Bible college, man. Uh, we helped raise him up by God's grace. Now he's in his 30s. He was in his teens. He is still looking, looking, looking for his calling, calling, calling. Guys, you're called to go preach. Just go and do it, amen? You'll figure out the rest as you go if you don't have it all put together. But sometimes people will say that. And then, you know, they get a little, you know, a little knowledge from the Scripture because they understand there's apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and gifts of administration, gifts of healing, all of these different things. And so they just want to tip out and go, I'm really smart and spiritual. I figured it out. That's not my calling. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Paul speaking to a pastor who's over a church. He says, keep your head in all situations and do hardship. Do the work of an 
An evangelist, thank you, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So do the work of an evangelist. You may not be that in an office. An evangelist in position is going to be one that is comfortable speaking to large groups, teaching, training, going around the world or the place that they're at. That's going to be the calling of that person. We go ding, 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 evangelist, but everybody could do the work of an evangelist. Amen? Does anybody here get paid to cook food? A chef, a cook, a line cook. Um, I can't think of anything else. You sell in lotes. You, you, uh, you, you have a food truck. Okay, nobody here. We had one person in the, in the first service that did it as a living. They got paid to be a cook. But how many of y'all do the work of a cook every day? You do the work of a cook. You don't look at the food and go, that's not my calling to cook you. I need to call up somebody. I need to call up a chef. I need to get a cook in here, and then I'm just going to watch them because it's not my calling. No, you do the work of a chef every time you get out of bed at 10 in the morning and try to eat cookie dough and do whatever you're doing there. You try to do something there after your hunger craving. You do the work. You get up, you do the work. We are all called to do the work. Somebody say, put in work. Thank you. We're all called to do it. And what's beautiful when we take the strategies of Jesus going two by two, we always like to partner up people who are uh, maybe new to this or not experienced with those who are more experienced. Jesus preached the gospel. The gospel is not complicated. You ask somebody, have you heard of the gospel? Have you been born again? That's a, you know, a, a thing that happens after you've received the gospel. Those are great questions. Or do you have a moment to talk about Jesus? You do this in a conversation with people that you're going out to meet. You're, you're prioritizing this in your life. It could be before a life group. It could be at a, like an outreach we do at the church. It could be at one of our, our other meetings that we're doing. And we're saying, for this, we're going to go evangelizing before we give away the boxes of food or whatever. And you're just sharing that message. How does the message look like in, you know, how does it work and what does it look like in our everyday uh, world? I just get them to stop and talk. So do you want to talk about Jesus? You know what it's like to be born again. Has anybody told you the good news? And then I begin to talk to them and I ask them, have you heard the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Do you know what it's like to know Jesus? And then I hear about their experiences because I want to have compassion on them. I'm not there just to be like, hey, I got bad news for you. You're going to hell. Can I tell you a little bit more about hell? The worm's going to crawl in and out of your flesh. You're going to gnaw your teeth, and the fire will never die out. Just wanted to let you know, cha-ching, I got to tell another today. No, I don't go out to tell bad news. I go out to tell good news. But in the midst of me telling good news, every now and then, you'll, you'll meet somebody that thinks they don't need the good news. So oh, I go, you don't need this. And they'll go, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. You could probably go talk to that person over there. And I go, would you like to take the good person test? How many know what the good person test is? Okay, that's why I'm here to teach today. Amen. I'm going to teach you the good person test. So I say, oh, because you're good, right? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Why don't you go help those guys over there? I appreciate what you're doing. And they're nice. They're respectful. But I'm like, let's take the good person test. Have you ever told a lie? And don't lie now. And they'll be like, yeah, I've probably told a few lies. And I go, okay, well, have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Ever used God's name, Jesus, outside of prayer and reverence, worship? Maybe you're mad or frustrated, you know, put a few other swear words there. Have you done that? Yeah, yeah, I've done it a few times. How about this? You ever disobeyed your parents while growing up or even now? Do you not listen to what your mother and father want? Yeah, I've done that. Have you always put God first? Have you always woke up and said, thank you, God, for this day, ended your day by thanking God, praying over your food, blessing it, making time to go to church, fellowshipping with other Christians? Have you, have you done that? No, I haven't always put God first. Okay, how about covet or jealous? Have you ever been 
jealous of what somebody else has on TV, media, your friend, next door neighbor? Ever been jealous? Okay, yeah, I've done that. I, I, and they can get it at this point. I kind of get where you're going. I'm like, I'm not done with the test. Let's keep going. I'm like, have you ever lusted? You ever thought about having sex to someone you're not married to? And they're like getting all awkward at that moment. Yeah, I've, I've done that, yeah. And I go, okay, guess what those questions were on the test? Commandments. Everybody say commandments. Thank you. So then I ask him, I say, on average, how many of those commandments do you think you're breaking a day? What, one to three, three to five, five to 10, 10 to 20? Do I need to pray for you and get some distance right now, 30 to 40? You know, how many are you breaking? And on average, you know, they'll just be kind of good to themselves, you know, because they already think they're a good person. They're like, maybe only like one to three. And I'm like, okay, so let's just take three. Say three sins a day times 365 days in a year. That's 1,095 sins you as a good person are committing. How long do you think you've known what right and wrong is? What age do you think you knew a lie from, from something else, you know? And they'll go, from about 12. And I go, how old are you now? Oh, I'm 20. Okay, so for eight years, you've been breaking those commands at 1,000 a year. That's 8,760 commands. Did you pass or fail the good person test? You failed it, didn't you? You did. Everybody does. We fail it, and we say in the Scripture, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then I like to ask him, well, how many sins did Adam and Eve commit for us to get into the mess we're in now? One. And I go, you're in trouble, aren't you? There's no one good but God. I said, have you ever seen the cross or heard about the cross? Who died on that cross? Jesus. Why do you think he died? Ah, he died for those 8,000 sins you've committed. And that's just what you're admitting in front of me. We're not good. We need a good God. Jesus provided the way for us. Would you like to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive his forgiveness? They come tied together. Because sometimes they'll be like, well, I ask for forgiveness all the time. But do you make Jesus the Lord of your life? The forgiveness aspect is a, is a blessing to the Christian. The non-Christian who just keeps sinning to sin doesn't get the forgiveness of God. It's those who confess Jesus as Lord that get the forgiveness. So it doesn't mean you have to earn your salvation. It just means for you to receive the gift of salvation. Jesus is now the boss. So you're not looking at sin as something you get to do now a whole bunch of just to be forgiven. If you ever forget what your sin cost Jesus, look to the cross. That's what it cost Jesus. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he wasn't dying for the good guys. He was dying for the bad guys. So do you want to be born again, have a new life, have a relationship with Christ, get to know and love? And that's the gospel. Can we do that? Yeah, with practice, can you do it like how I did it here? Absolutely. So we all do the work of an evangelist. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Yes, Lord. Would you stand up with us, please? Thank you for coming. Band and altar worker, would you come, please? As we look to this last scripture, I want to encourage you to imagine that day if you were with Jesus, what would you say to him asking you to pray for workers? Because that's the same Jesus that's here today. I'm going to say it again. What would you do if you were there that day? Jesus said, hey, I got a prayer request. I want you to pray for laborers. What would you do? Because that's the same Jesus that's here today. He's asking us to pray for workers. He's asking us in that prayer to be an answer and to go out and share the faith. When you want to see the heart of Jesus as he looks at us in relationship as co-workers, as the Bible says, we can look to the end of the, the gospel of Matthew when he starts to tell the parables of the end times. And one of the parables talks about a wedding happening. 
and how excited he is that he's marrying the church. That's what it stands for. And so he is the bridegroom, we're the bride. And he tells this story, and you can really just feel the, the weight of the emotion because he says, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like you having a wedding and you inviting people, but nobody wants to come. Nobody wants to come. Imagine how that would make you feel. You have a wedding. It's important to you. Or your children have a wedding. It's important to them. But nobody wants to come. It's heartbreaking, right? But then he says, what would you do? You wouldn't want to party all by yourselves. You would say, you know what? These people who I invited didn't want to come, and I still got the food, and I still got the banquet hall. You know what? Let's go find somebody else who wants to come. And this is where the, the part of the parable gets real. He says, so go to the street corners. Go to the where? The street corners. Go there and invite anyone you find. See, that's what we're doing on behalf of Christ. I'm not better than anyone else when I hold a mic. Sometimes street preachers get bad names or people look at us like we're trying to get more selfies to exploit our, our charity, and we need to be careful with that. But I hope in your heart, we're, we're, we're together on this. We're going to the corners because we're so excited about the wedding feast. We want the world to experience what we're experiencing. We have fallen in love with Jesus, the lover of our soul. Nobody else is like him. And if I have to stand on a street corner, and say Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life you're invited to come and to be mocked and ridiculed so that someone else will come I'll do it I will do it there are people in this church like Rudy and others who have come as a result of us going to public street witnessing Birdo was invited by his friend and I led him to the Lord at this church God is bringing the lost to us we just have to go to them there's a park, that's for us to go to. There's a school, that's for us to go to. God is giving us the freedom and the opportunities. Will you take it? So the Bible says the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all that they could find, the bad as well as the good. They weren't, they weren't prejudiced. They weren't trying to pick like, oh man, you got too many tattoos. I'm going to go for someone else that looks more like a business person. No, whoever they looked like on the outside, it did not matter. I am so happy that when I was skateboarding, street preachers and witnesses came to my friends there as we were skateboarding, and they did not care whether we were good or bad. They just cared whether or not we knew there was an invitation to come to the wedding banquet. I remember being a kid and watching people preach, and I'm ashamed of my behavior because I pulled my friend away, and I knew the message, and he didn't. But I remember he was so intrigued, my skateboarding friend, because he had never heard the message that it wasn't based on how good they were or how bad they were, that Christ loved them and had a plan for their life. And the Bible says the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's why we do it. We do it because we love people. We believe that God loves them and he's using us. He could have, he could have had an angel do it, but he didn't. And it may be difficult for you at times. I get it. You may feel like a lamb among wolves. I feel that way sometimes too. But it's worth it when you make time to share your faith, to pray for those who are sick, to see if there's a need that you can meet, to have compassion and let people know we're here. So many times when I take the mic, I like to use humor as I do in our services, and I'll say to people, how many are looking for a sign that God is real? How many believe that God can send signs if he's real? How many are looking for a sign? And I say, there's a six-foot-one-inch sign from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who used to be on drugs as a high school dropout, and I'm standing here as a sign of God's goodness. 
I'm assigned to you. God did it. He'll do it again. You are not alone. Whatever you're going through, he will hear you. He will answer your prayers. And the stories that you'll get to tell as you do this over your life will be amazing. I can tell you of demons being cast out. I can talk to you about backslidden preachers and preachers' kids literally falling to their knees while we're preaching and tears coming out of their eyes. I can tell you stories about other religions who would argue with us and then they come to Christ from every community, every background, every age. Because sometimes, like I said, they say, oh, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That is such a lie. It worked for Jackie. We were out here at Reese Park, and Jackie said, she said, you got me with the candy. I know it's funny. I'm crying right now. This, I'm a weird crier, so be patient. Because all we had as a new church was just a couple bags of candy, and we, we said, you know what? I know people like candy. I'm going to give out candy, and I'm going to talk about Jesus. Here comes a single mom named Jackie. She said, you had me with the candy. And she said, I never heard the gospel like that before. And as she was eating her candy, we began to preach. And she began to talk about this messy divorce or the situation that happened with the father of her kids. And then she eventually came to church. She gave her heart to Jesus. I wouldn't trade, listen to me, I wouldn't trade anything for that. I wouldn't, I, I want a big church. We want to reach a lot of people here in the aquarium. But I wouldn't trade any of those experiences for one moment seeing a lost person saved. Are you tracking with me? She came to the church. She gets saved. She brings her family. She eventually moves to Urbana. She's probably watching this sermon or watch one of ours. She married a deacon in a church that we recommended. And she's always coming on our post. She's always coming on our post saying, because I get, I get uh, mocked a lot. We get persecuted a lot. And she'll always just pipe in and say, it worked for me. You guys don't know what you're talking about. This church has blessed me. It changed my life. Keep preaching, Joe. Keep reaching. Don't you want those stories? Don't you want the stories of those you brought into your home during the home Bible study? Don't you want to hear about the stories from the park that you met somebody or the bus stop? And that you can say, man, because of what Jesus did in my life, this wedding, this wedding hall is going to have one other person in there. Because we don't bring our jobs. We don't bring our money. We bring souls with us to heaven. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you today that you brought us into this house to be encouraged to be your workers. As we're in an attitude of prayer, if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, before you work for him, he wants you to be a son or a daughter. If you have sins, just repent and say, Jesus, forgive me. Confess him as the Lord of your life. Even as I'm praying for you right now, you can come forward and one of these folks will pray for you. If you want to accept Christ into your life, Jesus, save the lost even here today. They're so special. They are so loved by you that you sent your son to die for them. So if you don't know Jesus in that way or you've walked away at any time, come up even now as I'm praying for others. And now for the rest of us who know Jesus, we're like those disciples of that time. Would you just right now ask him to send you out to be a worker? Ask him to put places in your heart or ministries that you can join or things that are passionate for, for you to do them. But he's going to use you to preach the gospel. There, You like playing basketball, but he's going to use you to, to preach while you're at the court. You're going to make opportunities to share his word.
a few moments as we're praying. Anyone can come forward, even if it's for a different need. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But I want us to pray before we go that everyone here makes that decision to be a worker and they, they hear a calling. They see an answer to that prayer. Lord, I pray for workers. Now ask God where you go. God, send us. Send us. If you need help discerning the voice of God, like I said, we'll pray for you. Send us, Lord. Send us to our communities. Help us to join with other churches and other people that have the same desires as us. Co-workers that maybe want to start an afternoon Bible study that then we start to reach people and do outreaches from there. A woman told me from the church, she says, you know what, Joe, I work downtown and on my lunch break I go right downtown and I look for other businesswomen to preach to. Oh, to God, there would be a thousand of her this Monday. Oh, to God, there would be a thousand of her. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, a few more moments, would you surrender your life to God? I wish that the high schools would open again so we could be back out there in the junior highs. I miss those young people. In the name of Jesus, let the young people go, devil, you lying devil. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Have you ever preached on Belmont and Clark? Well, then don't speak about them if you've never preached to them. I've been out there. I've had compassion for them. Have you ever been to Devon and preached to the Muslim community? Then don't speak about them. You don't have the compassion yet. Go out and see someone that's lost as a sheep. Go out and experience their pain with them before you think you know better. Go preach with us in bad communities. Go preach with us downtown before you judge that businessman or woman. Come on. Let's preach and show that we love them. Charles Spurgeon said, if they go to hell, let them go to hell through our tears and us clinging to their legs. Let our words be ringing in their ears. If they do go to hell, let them know that we did everything to stand in the way. In the name of Jesus, a few more moments. If you need power and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that's new to you, or you need a, you need a reload, you need to recharge, come on up, we'll pray for power upon your life. No excuses. He'll use you. He'll use you. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but please, let's keep this as prayer, a time of prayer. The Bible says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. I met one of the, church, the pastors where I vote. He's a pastor at that church where our polling place is, and the Lord told me to reach out to him. We started doing outreaches this summer, and he told me that there are Muslims from the community coming to the church. He's witnessing to them. My friends, there is a ripe harvest. Jesus says the harvest is great. Pray for the workers. We just need more workers. There was a Muslim person next to this church that had never heard the gospel until this pastor got trained to go out and share the word. Father, as we get ready to dismiss, I pray that everyone who is seeking after your heart, who wants to be empowered, will not leave until they are. I pray that everyone who's looking for opportunities will not leave until they've been sent to those places or know in their heart where to go. I pray that we'll be your workers. We'll be the answer of prayer that your son prayed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord one more time? God bless you, saints.